Hey YA is sponsored by Book Riot's own newsletters. Did you know Book Riot has over 25 newsletters covering every genre, including YA, as well as book news and deals? Sign up for book deals to get notified about the best book sales of the day, handpicked by our editorial staff. There's also Today in Books, our daily newsletter summing up the most interesting headlines from the book world every day. And don't forget, of course, What's Up in YA, which covers everything new and interesting in the world of YA, written by me, Kelly Jensen. We've also got newsletters for horror fans, romance fans, YA lovers, obviously, mystery thriller aficionados, and more. Just go to bookriot.com slash newsletters to sign up for the newsletters that are most interesting to you. That's bookriot.com slash newsletters. Welcome to Hey YA, from great new books to favorite classic reads, from newest news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book riot podcast hosted by me, Kelly Jensen, alongside Sarah Hannah Gomez. We are recording on Wednesday, December 23rd, 2020. We're coming at you from the past, where it's now a whole new year. So it's actually 2021 when you're listening to this, but we recorded before the new year, so it's back to the future time here. We're not going to talk about Back to the Future, but that's like the mindset to be in as you're listening to this going, am I listening to this on the wrong date? The answer is no. You're listening to it on the correct date whenever you listen to it. We're just recording in a whole different year. Listeners who are wondering what happened to our last episode, um, (laughs) funny story. LOL sob. (laughs) Yeah. So there was supposed to be an episode that hit airwaves today, December 23rd, when we're recording. It was an awesome episode. Hannah and I had this great you know, series of recommendations, and then uh, the recording didn't work out. So we're going to re-record that for the next episode, and you'll get to hear it. But yeah, so if you're like, what happened to the podcast? The answer is technology happened to the podcast, because it wouldn't be 2020 without it. That's true. I felt really bad since the bad recording was on my end. And then Uh at least Jen with two ends was like, no, this is very 2020. And I was like, that's true. Mm -hmm. It's very on brand. Yeah. And the thing is, it's technology, like stuff happens. So we couldn't make time to re-record and it's okay. We will re-record that when we can and bring it to y'all so you can hear our favorite picks for end of the world stories, which, you know, will be a little bit different hearing in 2021 versus at the end of 2020, but it's okay. Maybe by then it'll be more fantasy than reality. Right. It could be a hopeful, like, this is the last time we have to talk about the end of the world. We can only hope, right? (laughs) Right. Well, hope everyone had a decent new year that also consisted of being alone or in your bubble. (laughs) Otherwise, we will be here for 2021. Yeah, for real. I mean, I feel everybody's hope and like excitement about a new calendar page. But at the same time, I'm also realistic and being like, it's going to be more of the same. So buckle up, buy some more puzzles and books and like settle in for the long haul part two. That's true. Part one, actually, because I never like stopped, but it feels like a part two. Right. I was usually every year I make a calendar of and every page is like a quote from one of my favorite books from the previous year. And I do fun like word art and stuff. It's very, you know, an upgraded version of like Corel WordPerfect and Microsoft Mm -hmm. Word, like word art circa 2001. And 
you know, didn't have time this year and was like, well, I guess I need to go to the store and buy like a pre-made calendar with the same 12 Monets. And then I was like, I don't even need a calendar because I don't (laughs) go anywhere or do anything. (laughs) Like as long as I remember the day the semester starts and don't skip the class I'm teaching, nothing really matters, which is tragic. Have you seen that meme going around like what was the most useless thing you bought in 2020? And it's like almost every answer has been a calendar or a planner. And I keep thinking the same thing. It's like, yeah, I, um, you know, bought a calendar. I bought this like goal planner. I was so excited. And like I, I was really successful with goal stuff. But the calendar, on the other hand, it was like it was so pointless. I didn't need it. And very much like as long as I know it's Monday and I'm working that day, it's fine. Because otherwise I don't go anywhere. <laughs> That's impressive that you even know it's Monday. If you hadn't said Wednesday, December 23rd, I would have been like, it's December. Whoops. And I just kicked my, I kicked my metal drawer. Sorry. (laughs) Well, to be honest, since that listeners don't think I'm a genius about the date, I look it up before we write our show notes out. So I have it in the show notes and I can read it instead of going, I don't know. But yeah. So um, do you want to hit our first sponsor and we can dive in? I love our topics for today's show. I am excited. So our first sponsor today is the audiobook edition of The Lives of Saints by Lee Bardugo. The Lives of Saints takes listeners deeper into the best-selling Grishaverse series, featuring tales of saints from the Shadow and Bone trilogy and beyond. These tales include miracles and martyrdoms from familiar saints like Sancta Elisabetta of the Roses and Sancta Ilia in Chains, to the strange and obscure stories of Sancta Ursula, Sancta Marati, and the Starless Saint. The audiobook is read by Lauren Fortgang and Ben Barnes, who will star as the Darkling in Netflix's upcoming adaptation of Lee Bardugo's Shadow and Bone trilogy. Lee Bardugo is a number one New York Times bestselling author of fantasy novels and the creator of the Grishaverse, which spans the Shadow and Bone trilogy, the Six of Crows duology, the Language of Thorns, and the King of Scars duology. Her other works include Wonder Woman, Warbringer, and Ninth House. And I see that the trailer just dropped for the Netflix show. Yes. I'm so excited because everyone's been telling me for approximately 100 years that I will love this series. So not that I wasn't inspired to read it before, but sometimes you need that extra push. So this might be my push. Yeah. And for um, listeners who don't know, the show will drop on Netflix in April. They didn't give an exact date. They just said April. So I suspect we'll see a trailer in the next month or two that gives like the full details on the show's release. I'm excited. (laughs) So our first topic today is (laughs) new year, new me is a very, we'll pretend that I came up with a better phrase because that's overdone. But we wanted to talk about novels that have been adapted into graphic novels, books that have been reissued, um, and other other such things. So do you want to talk about the first one? I know you... We're excited about this one and I haven't read it. So, yeah, sure. Um, so I love when you brought this topic up and I initially was like, oh, it's going to be, you know, books that'll make you feel better about yourself or like how to improve yourself, which I love those books, but I haven't read a whole lot of them in YA. And so when Hannah was like, no, I mean like books that got makeovers, they got like upgrade editions or second editions or re releases, I was like, yeah. I'm game for it. And uh, so the first one that I thought of was one that came out came out in November. It's a reissue. It's Finding My Voice by Maureen Young O.K. Lee. And it's a classic of YA. And it's the first 
believed to be the first, and I think it is, first own voices Korean American YA novel, and it came out in 1992, so many years ago, and was just recently republished with a really wonderful refreshed cover that is super contemporary and modern. I hadn't read this one before the reissue, and I was really excited to do that and really pleasantly surprised how much it held up. It's a slice of life story about a girl who struggles with the expectations of her immigrant Korean American parents and also her desire to fit in as an Asian American teenager. Ellen ends up falling for this white all-American football player, and he falls for her too, but they are dealing with a lot of bigotry in their town for being an interracial couple. It's a quieter book, but one that will resonate with so many readers and be such a welcome addition to the shelves of Asian American literature, and particularly for those readers who have been seeking more own voices stories, this is an early one, and it, like I said, holds up, I think, a lot of the pieces of the story will super resonate today. So I, I read an early edition of this, and there was this really fascinating author's note that I hope made it into the final copy from Lee herself. And she said she purposely did not update anything in the text, which I really, really dug. Like, it was like reading an older YA book, but because nothing was updated, it's like, well, are things going to feel you know, 2020? Are they going to feel of now? And they certainly do. But that said, there were a handful of weird fat-related, fat-phobic comments in the book that were really jarring for me as a reader, particularly because I suspected in updated text they wouldn't have made the cut. Were they sincere to the characters? Yeah, I think so, but I really had wished they had been updated to fix those since they were also not necessary to the text, and that was probably the only thing that really sort of popped out to me as like, ooh, this took me out of the moment and took me back to like, it was published in 1992 when these conversations weren't quite happening. But that aside, the story itself totally holds up. And that is Finding My Voice by Marie Young O.K. Lee. Yeah, I feel like just the 1990s in general do not hold up to scrutiny today. Like just oh. the entire <laughs> 90s. <laughs> Especially yeah. like, you know, we just we should never watch Friends again. And Ugh. every joke was being fat is hilarious or being gay is hilarious. And I'm like, man, we were like boring and had the same jokes all the time back then. Right. And you think about like Friends and Seinfeld were set in New York City and yet those are the whitest New York City representations I've ever seen before. <laughs> like, hmm. Right. It took like eight seasons for someone to have like a crush on a black girl on Friends. It's at least it was Gabrielle Union, but still absurd. So I want to talk about Judy Bloom because I don't yes. know many Americans under the age of 50 who haven't <laughs> read <laughs> Judy Bloom. One thing I really respect about her, because there are some other longstanding beloved authors who have updated things that I think are more problematic. But Judy Bloom is another one, kind of like um, the author of Finding My Voice, who's like, my books were written when they were written. They sound like mm -hmm. when they were written, you know, they that's what they are, take it or leave it. But knowing that she's, you know, the period person and the sex person, and, you mm -hmm. know, she's many people's first foray into that. She said the one thing she has updated as her books have been reissued 
is methods of birth control and <laughs> menstruation products, mm-hmm. which I think is really smart because I know when I was reading Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, it was so, – I mean – it was until very recently that I was so confused by this whole a belt to belt, hold your pad yes. thing. I was thinking that I was like, I remember when I first read it and reading the belt thing and being so confused about it. Like, oh, that right? sounds awful. Like, why would you do that? Right. Because we were reading it in a time when like studded belts and chokers were like yeah. a thing, right? And I was like, you wear that under your pants? But then like, what if your pants are too loose and you need a belt also for that? Like, could not make sense of it and i finally like in the last few months like saw the for the first time a photo of what those belts looked like and of course it was not like a big chunky belt like you would also put on your jeans but so i appreciate that she didn't change a whole lot but she did change things like that in her book forever which is a classic i believe the original one had Catherine getting a diaphragm for Mm -hmm. birth control and she updated that but otherwise is like you know, I'm not going to toss in, you know, Facebook. My books are my books. Mm-hmm. So aside from that kind of stuff, she sort of kept it. So that's my general recommendation to everyone is read Judy Bloom forever. Give everyone Judy Bloom. I would like to see more boys reading Judy Bloom, actually. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that would be good for society for boys to read Judy Bloom, not just Fudge. Fudge is great. The Fudge TV show was awesome. I wish I could find dvds or a stream of that but boys should read some of her like girl puberty books for sure i agree and i just love that she as we have you know become more and more conscious of like our biases and our prejudices she has grown as well and she's still this outspoken anti-censorship like feminist writer without showing some really problematic colors you know right like some other authors we grew up with perhaps who Mm -hmm. should pipe down and not destroy their own legacy (laughs) yeah it's refreshing when you're like oh it stays you know it stays solid she's still a super solid human being and still um her books have resonance even if they don't include technology which is fine i think that that's totally fine Right. I actually think, and I remember writing a piece on this way back in 2013 when um, Open Road Media started buying up backlists and releasing them as ebooks, which, like, cheers, love that. You know, classics like The Face on the Milk Carton and most of Lois Duncan's thrillers. And I was like, awesome. Those books are, you know, a product of their time. And especially, like, thrillers and horrors kind of bank on their setting in time and place. Like, that's. You can't really be horrified about a thing, you know, unless you have like solid context for where and when the characters are. And so she kept the books the same, but would just kind of throw in like, can I have an internet, please? And then like, I took my cell phone or probably like my cellular telephone, but then it fell into a tub of water because of course you still need your characters to be, you know, stuck in the woods with no help nearby. But all the language is still like, can I take you out for a Coke I'm like, so you're not, no one's going to think this is taking place now. (laughs) And the idea that, you know, kids these days won't read a book if it doesn't have the internet in it is, I think, rather insulting to teens. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, her books were old when I was reading them and I still was like, ha ha ha, going out for a Coke. Anyway, this is terrifying. Yeah. 
So yeah, I really love that Judy Bloom was like, I will update only the things I need to update to not like terrify people like a diaphragm and a belt. <laughs> but otherwise, I still don't really know what a diaphragm is. Like, <laughs> I can't remember what book I read and maybe I'm thinking of forever. Um, maybe I'm thinking of another book that was set like in that same time frame and they did a whole bit on like getting sized for a diaphragm. And I remember that was somewhat terrifying to me. <laughs> like this seems really intricate and complicated. Right? Like as a longtime member of many choirs, I'm like, no, 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 your diaphragm is your thing that you pay attention to when you're singing. <laughs> That's not you can't take a diaphragm out. Your diaphragm is part of your body and you need to breathe correctly. <laughs> So thank you, Judy, for being real solid. Yeah. So my next pick is Graceling by Kristen Kishore. And I will start by saying I haven't read this series yet. Despite the fact I know I'd like it, I don't read a whole lot of fantasy. But this one looks up my alley the same way that Melina Marchetta's uh, Finnegan of the Rock series totally worked for me. So we're 12 or 13 years past the initial book's publication and... The fourth title in the series just hit shelves or is hitting shelves this month, January, making it sort of the perfect time to dive in because I am a series completionist. I need them all. But I'm a little bit torn because in November of 2021, the first book in the series is being turned into a graphic novel, which will be illustrated by Gareth Hines, who has done a lot of really rad graphic novel adaptations of classics like Romeo and Juliet and The Odyssey. And I'm almost tempted to wait and read the entire series with that edition later in 2021, since it'll be neat to have the experience of seeing how the story is transformed also into a visual medium, which is like one of my favorite things is reading the book and then immediately looking at the graphic adaptation and seeing what translated, what sort of got enhanced in the visual and what things were left out. And so that's my highlighting. We're getting the fourth Graceling book this month. Winter Keep, I think is the name of it. And then we're getting the Graceling graphic novel in November. Well, I will say, please don't wait. I also, <laughs> as we both know, and as listeners probably know by now, not a huge fantasy person, read Graceling for class. Um, Kristen and I went to the same master's program, but not at the same time. So she is a huge star at Simmons. And same thing. I was like, oh my God, I expected to just not be into this at all. And I love it. And gonna do some bragging here. I got to um, sensitivity read, for lack of a more recognizable term, the new Winter Keep. Mm. So they sent me, because I had read Graceling, they sent me Fire and Bitter Blue so that I would have a little more context it's not essential that you read them to read Winter Keep, but it's definitely a, a richer experience. Yeah. Oh, don't wait for the graphic novel. But also <laughs> the graphic novel is exciting because, yes, Gareth Hines is doing the art. But Graceling, um, part of the story is there's a little girl named Bitterblue who then stars in a later book. And her mother did amazing embroidery. And then oh. you find out she kind of, you know, sewed messages into it. And... Cecilia Cackley, who is an amazing puppeteer and just like kidlit person, is doing the embroidery for the graphic oh, novel. Oh, nice. Oh, that's so, awesome. Totally bragging here about all of my connections to this because sometimes she sends me little snippets of what she's working on. But everyone should go find her on Twitter. And yeah, so don't wait. But also 
I really hope the graphic novel does well so that we can get the full series because I think mm-hmm. I suspect they will all be amazing just like the series. So sorry, I'm like editorializing a lot here. <laughs> no, that's I didn't I had no idea. And like I said, my knowledge of the series is that I'm pretty sure I'll like it. And that's about it. Yes. So any extra context like that is always nice, not just for me as a selfish listener uh, and selfish reader. But I think anybody who's listening and is like, I don't know if I'll be into the graphic novel, like getting those details can be like, oh, I'm totally into it. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, if you think you don't like fantasy, Graceling is a great place to be like, okay, maybe I will change my mind. My next pick is Speak by Laurie Hall Sanderson, which, you know, it's not very unique to say this book meant a lot to me as a teenager and I liked it. Like, look at me being interesting. But the graphic novel came out 30 years ago in COVID time, but I think just two years ago in linear time, (laughs) two or three, two So it's illustrated by Emily Carroll, who does these amazing kind of, like, I don't even know how to describe them, sort of gothic, semi-creepy, but not moody, moody, let's say. So she did the illustrations for it, and Lori came to the Tucson Festival of Books the year it came out. So I got to read it and then moderate a panel with her. And what I love, speaking of updates, is I think she and the publisher and Emily Carroll had, I assume, probably more than one meeting about ways to keep it what it was, but also speak to today's readers. So one of the main characters is now Black, which I like. And it was just a like Lori is one of those people, kind of like Judy Bloom, who in her very long career has you know, continued to be a a person who is anti-censorship and, you know, anti-lots of things and pro-lots of things and very concerned with diversity and representation. And she was like, this just made sense. Like this just, this needed to happen. And I'm, you know, proud of the change that we made here. So the school looks a little more diverse, but it's still, you know, exactly, exactly the story you remember but with some language about, um, I think, consent and stuff that wasn't fully there, just because back in the day when it came out, I think even if people knew, like, sexual assault is bad, we didn't really speak about it in the same terms. And, like, I certainly had never really heard the word consent in that context. So I think they did really good work with how they used language teens of today would recognize without, like, totally shifting the story or saying, my cell phone, my cell phone, my cell phone. I actually really look forward to seeing if the movie holds up as well. Um, So I'm going to see if I can Mm. track that down on a streaming service. It was one of um, Kristen Stewart's first movies. So anyone who thinks Twilight was her first YA, you're wrong. (laughs) So that's Speak the Graphic Novel by Laurie L. Sanderson. I love the graphic novel. And I was really, I don't want to say hesitant, but curious how that powerful a story would translate into the graphic format. And I thought it was so good. I thought it really did a good job of making everything that needed to be more visual, more visual, if that makes sense. Like it was as impactful as reading the book itself was, which I think is always a really impressive feat when you change mediums, particularly. Right. And I think this is a really good example of the word adaptation, you know, like often we'll say like the book, you know, the movie is nothing like the book or missed a lot, a lot of stuff. And it's like, well, because it's not the book, it's an adaptation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think this right. one really hit exactly like this is the source material. 
I'm not going to be exact because, you know, ideally any work of art like needs to be what it is and cannot be perfectly translated. So I think they did really good work with adaptation. My next pick is speaking of adaptation, an adaptation of an adaptation, if you can follow that <laughs> that thinking. And it's Be More Chill by Ned Vizzini, which came out in 2004. And I am ashamed to say I haven't read it. I read one of Vizzini's other books, and maybe it's because of how much I've learned about him and his own struggles with his mental health. But it's hard for me as somebody with my own mental health struggles to pick up the books because I know they'll hit really close to the bone. And what I wanted to bring this one up for is because this particular book was made into an off-Broadway musical, super popular off-Broadway musical. I'm going to give the little blurbity blurb because I haven't read it. And it follows Jeremy here, who is your average high school dork. Day after day, he stares at beautiful Christine, the girl he can never have, and dryly notes that the small humiliations that come his way. Until the day he learns about the squip, a pill-sized supercomputer that you swallow, the squip is guaranteed to bring you whatever you most desire in life. And by instructing him on everything from what to wear to how to talk and walk, the squip transforms Jeremy from super geek to super chic. So that's the blurb. And later this month, again in January, we're getting a graphic novel adaptation of the book through the help of David Levithan and Nick Bertozzi. I think it's just fascinating to think about a book that was adapted for Broadway, which is now being adapted for a graphic novel. And I think I might pick up the graphic novel because I know how popular the story is and how popular it's been off Broadway. It's been there for a really long run. And I'm super curious to see if and how the adaptation impacts how the story is then read in print. So I might read them back to back just to see. But yeah, I'm super curious about this. I know a lot of readers when they found out were super excited about this one. And that is Be More Chill by Ned Vizzini. My next pick is another one that's been adapted into multiple formats. It's a classic by a classic. It's Monster by Walter Dean Myers. So the original book itself is a sort of multi-format situation where the main character, Steve, is sitting on trial for felony murder. And one of the ways he's processing this thing as it's happening, because it's sort of active trauma to hear people talk about you in this horrible way, is he presents it all as a screenplay. And then you get, you know, bits of the book that are in prose when he's not in the courtroom, but all of the courtroom scenes are presented as a screenplay. And I don't know why it took so long for someone to go like, well, maybe I should make it a movie then. So they shot a movie in like 2017, I think. And everyone's been wondering where it is. And it's impossible to find. They changed the title from Monster to All Rise. But from what I hear slash see in my Googling is that maybe it's back to Monster. And it looks like Netflix finally picked it up to distribute. So super excited for that. And it was turned into a graphic novel about five, six years ago. I haven't gotten my hands on the graphic novel yet, but the illustrator, um, Dawood Anyabwile, seems, I mean, I've, I've read some other books that he's done work for, so I know he's, he's solid, so I'm sure it's good. But I just love that a book that relied on script format has been turned into both a movie and a graphic novel, which, as we know, 
takes a lot of film technique and film language and film structure. A good graphic novel, like we use a lot of the same language when, you know, writing academically about it. And that's kind of how you teach people to read film or read graphic novels based on their understanding of the other. So I'm super excited to get it. I was not able to find it at any of my libraries. So I'm just waiting for my own copy to come in the mail, which means I need to go order it. It's been sitting in my cart. <laughs> but <laughs> super excited for all of the forms of Monster by Walter Dean Myers. I just read it for the first time last year, the um, novel, and have been obsessed with it since. Like I think about it all the time. And I'm so excited for the adaptation to hit. We didn't get a date on when it's coming to Netflix, but my guess is probably sometime this year. So I'm really excited to watch it. I'm going to do two quick back-to-back picks for my last two. The first is Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds, which I know we've all read the incredible novel and for good reason. It's such a gut punch. And since it's told in such a tight timeline, there's just so much to dig in here. And I particularly like that there are a lot of theories about what is going on in that elevator. And I haven't yet picked up the graphic novel, which is written by Reynolds, uh, illustrated by Danica Novgordoff. And I suspect the novel's intensity and the sort of what is really going on are maybe even more captivating in the visual format, because I suspect a book like that just like works perfectly as a graphic novel. So what I'm planning to pick up over my break in the next week. And that's Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds. And then the final one I want to hit on just very briefly is Sloppy First by Megan McCafferty. And I did a whole episode on this book, uh, Hey YA Extra Credit with author Christina Forrest, which I'll link to in the show notes. But I love that this series is getting re-released in 2021 in honor of the book's 20th birthday, which is wild to think about because I read these as a teenager. And they're getting a fresh look. I will say because of nostalgia, which I hate even admitting, like I love the original covers a little bit more than the new ones, but I think new readers, particularly today's teens who have really grown up with illustrated covers, will connect with them a little bit more than they might the covers that I connected with as a teenager. Um, And they start hitting shelves in May. And that is Sloppy Verse by Megan McCafferty. Oh, I loved those books so much. I'm also curious about the updates because one of the sequels deals a lot with the the aftermath of 9-11. So I'm like, hmm, what's going to happen there? But I'll totally pick them up anyway. Um, I made a Marcus Flutie shirt once for the first Tucson <laughs> Festival of Books because she was coming. She said she liked it. And I managed to confuse people so much. My roommate was like, I have been Googling all day and I don't, what is chaos called creation? I can't find like their MySpace or what. And I was like, not a real band. I win. (laughs) So very proud. I wish I still had that shirt, but it fell apart. I will say I, I have a very early copy of Long Way Down, the graphic novel. I still haven't read the original Mm. and I know the graphic novel has changed because my copy is like watermarked and has notes on it, but I was really lucky to get it anyway. And I'm, it already looks beautiful. Like it looks like it was all made on watercolor paper. So you have that little texture. Ooh, nice. Oh, 
It's amazing. So I'm sure it is just getting better in its final copy. So my last pick is going to be one that's not technically YA, but just about every high schooler reads it. It's the (laughs) short story, The Lottery by Shirley Jackson. I have not picked up this story in many years. And her grandson did a graphic novel adaptation. And I was like, well, I'll just see what it's like for someone who remembers the impact of the story and the very bare bones of the plot, but not any of the details or quotes. The graphic novel is also very, not even scary, but disturbing. It's a lot, there are a lot of panels with no text. So you get this sort of stark, small town, country, like a rural town, country town, and, you know, kind of has vibes of Faulkner and, Oh, it's just really, it's another one of those books where I'm not, I don't know whether I can say I enjoyed it, but certainly it's an experience. And I think (laughs) high schoolers or, you know, former high schoolers who remember reading it will find it very interesting. And I do like that it was someone in her family who sort of had like the, the permission and the blessing of people who, you know, knew her best to get that. So that's The Lottery by Shirley Jackson and art by Miles Hyman. We're going to hit our second sponsor before diving into our next topic, and that sponsor is the Far Away Collection. Best-selling authors take classic fairy tales out for a new spin. Follow the path and see where it leads as evil queens, charmless princes, and star-crossed lovers branch out in exciting and enchanting new directions. Read these modern twists on classic fairy tales from Amazon Original Stories and best-selling authors Rainbow Roll, Nick Stone, Soman Chinani, Ken Liu, and Gail Foreman. Prime members read and listen to all five short stories in the Faraway Collection for free, and the collection is available at Amazon.com slash Audio. Thank you to the Faraway Collection. So, Hannah, you had proposed this topic, and it's interesting because I think you proposed it without knowing that I did like a long piece for School Library Journal on this very topic this year, and so... It was fascinating. It was like mind melt because this topic is timely in the sense that like we're seeing more of these sorts of books, but also timely in that to launch a new year, people have their goals going for them. And one of them, especially I think for readers is writing more, whether it's for themselves or for publication or teaching others to write, particularly kids. Yeah, definitely. That was, you know, every January, I'm like, I'm finally gonna finish this novel. And it's never this novel. It's always either not a novel or a novel that someone has already paid me to write because grades and checks are what (laughs) make me finish things. (laughs) So it is just as much a kick in the butt slash a get your butt in a chair reminder for me as I think it will be for other folks. But I always say I was a creative writing major in college, and I did some writing camps when I was young and took creative writing classes when I was young. And, you know, college creative writing is very, the most legitimate thing to write is a short story that will be in a lit mag or the New Yorker that will be read Mm -hmm. by other creative writing majors who publish in lit mags (sighs) or the New Yorker. And I, for one, the best writing classes I've ever taken or workshops are from writers who write for children, young adults, or who write genre fiction. They know how to finish things, and they know how to make a career of writing. So I, for one, think they are the best people 
to learn from. I mean, within 20 pages, I can always tell if a writer went to one particular MFA program, and I have never been wrong. <laughs> so I think that says something. So some of the best teachers I've had were um, Jackie Woodson, Norma Fox Mazur, Robert Evers, who writes crime novels. I think people think that to be a serious writer, you have to not care about money which is also what people say about teaching and some other jobs. And no, you can love your craft and still want to pay rent and eat dinner. Like those aren't at odds with each other. Exactly. And I think so often it's not that teachers or other adults in a teenager's life discourage them from pursuing their writing. But I think that there is really this gatekeeping in, in the sense that like, the messaging is it's so hard to make a career out of it when, yeah, it is, but it's hard to make a career out of anything. And part of thinking about making a career in writing or, or having it be a, a major source of what you spend your free time on is that you understand it's going to be work and you have these experts in the field who lay it out as honestly as they can. And I think that We've particularly seen this in the last few years with YA authors really being open and honest and sharing their knowledge and experience in ways that really connect with both teens who want to write and adults who want to write for teens. So we wanted to highlight some of these writing guides today. And I will link to the story I did with um, School Library Journal in the show notes, in part because it was so awesome to talk to Elizabeth Acevedo and Angie Thomas on the phone weeks before COVID hit. And it was a real experience to have those conversations then and then to write this piece when everybody went into lockdown and just thinking about how these particular tools became even more resonant and powerful after sort of um, talking about them in in a way that didn't realize how much time we would be spending trying to work through our feelings and thoughts. Yeah, I think people this year were either massively productive creatively or massively just depleted. And both are legitimate ways of coping. Mm -hmm. But definitely, I think, yeah, there were a lot of people who were like, the way I'm getting through this is diving into creativity. So... For those people. Yeah. Do you want to kick it off? Sure. So my first choice, I'm going to go back to Walter Dean Myers. He put out a book um, not too long before he died called Just Right, Here's How. So the cover just looks like all of his novels, which I think is really appealing and also fun because someone might, you know, quote unquote, accidentally pick it up thinking they're going to read another novel <laughs> and instead be inspired to write one. And he did, I mean, he did so much work directly with teens and talk about like making a career of writing. The man wrote so many books. I can't even count them. It was over 100. So you want to learn from someone who was massively popular with teens and with adults who care about teens. That's who you should learn from. So he has writing exercises. He also has, you know, just some kind of anecdotes about his life as a writer and things he's learned through writing. So it's sort of like a writer's memoir and a how to write, which I think is the best type of writing book to read is someone who sincerely continues to learn all the time, not just go, I'm the expert at writing. You can try to emulate me, but really 
Right. So that's Just Right, Here's How by Walter Dean Myers. My first pick is Dear Allie by Allie Carter. And this is such a cool book because Allie really wanted to focus it on the questions teens had about writing. So she wrote this book that is essentially questions from teenagers about writing and how to do it, all answered by her through her experiences. And there are sections that center around planning the book, developing a book's plot and editing the book. And then she invites other YA superstars from a wide range of other genres to also share their experience and insights, including Marie Lu, Holly Black, David Levithan, and it's a treasure trove for YA writers as well as for teenagers who are themselves interested in writing, which it's just, I think it's so smart. She ha- was getting all these questions at school assemblies about how to write and was like, I should write a book about how to write, answering these questions so that the teens have them um, even when they don't have direct access to me or another author to ask them. And that's Dear Allie by Allie Carter. My next pick is a book that just came out in September, so I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but it's Courageous Creativity, Advice and Encouragement for the Creative Life by Sarah Zarr. So Sarah is a YA author. She also has, or at least had, a podcast where she talks to other YA authors about their writing process, their writing goals, interests, setbacks, all of that. So it only made sense that she would put out a book about it as well. And one thing that's nice about this is it really is encouragement for the creative life. So all kinds of art, all kinds of creativity. It gives some exercise, some encouragement. It just kind of helps you process maybe what might be standing in your way of your creativity or what keeps you moving forward or whatever. Whatever it is, it gives you kind of different different methods for getting past your roadblocks, whether they're internal or external roadblocks. So that's Courageous Creativity, Advice and Encouragement for the Creative Life by Sarah Zarr. My next pick is Elizabeth Acevedo's Write Yourself a Lantern. And I'll start by saying you do not need to know or love the Poet X to get a ton out of this writing guide. But given how ubiquitous that particular Y verse novel is, chances are that's a big selling point for this writing guide. It's a great one to pair with the book. And it's a journal with lines from the book as well as prompts that come from Xiomara's own life and experiences. And it's packed with quotes to encourage free writing and inspiration. It's less of a guide and more of a tool for getting creative. And it's beautifully designed. I flipped through this. I got a copy of it. And it very much was like encouraging teens to just free write, whether or not like writing and publishing is something they want to pursue. But instead, like, get your feelings out there. Get your thoughts out there. And that is Elizabeth Acevedo's Write Yourself a Lantern. Such a good title. Everyone should read the Poet X just because, but I see your point. Oh, totally. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. No, for sure. Read the book. But if you haven't read the book, you can still get something out of the journal. You're definitely still allowed. My next pick is one that I'm really excited about, both for its concept and its content, is Foreshadow, Stories to Celebrate the Magic of Reading and Writing YA. So it's edited by Nova Rensuma, who I know you adore, and Emily XR Pan. So they started a sort of online lit mag lit platform called Foreshadow that was partly the authors you know and love from YA and partly new or newer voices. 
And so this collection is an anthology of the kind of debuting or early emerging voices. So it's their stories, but they're accompanied by a piece from a big name YA person talking about why that story works. And I think that's something that we think we're doing in a lot of creative writing classes, but I'm not convinced is really happening, (laughs) is talking about why a story works. So instead of just, it's good, they really kind of are getting into the meat of it. And I think, you know, the more you read, the better a writer you are. You can tell when people are, you know, writing into a void but haven't read a book in the last six months. So I think this is a really great way to give everyone new writers to enjoy and to start following and also to explore why really established writers, why what they can pick out in those stories um, since they, you know, obviously have figured something out if their careers are doing so well. (laughs) So really excited to pick that one up. It's another one in my cart that I need to check out. And that's Foreshadow, edited by Nova Rensuma and Emily XR Pan. I'm going to hit on one more. And this is like bang for your buck. It's actually four books. It's Beth Revis's Paper Heart series. And it's a four volume set of writing books. That's a course in and of itself with insight from Revis, who's this incredibly prolific and wide ranging YA bestseller. And the first book dives into writing advice with everything related to writing from plotting to editing. The second book then dives into advice about publishing, which for anyone who wants to go that route is going to be a game changer because there are a lot of resources out there, but a single tool to help you navigate the process is priceless. The third volume is all about marketing and selling your books, which is something that so many writers, I should say all writers maybe, are expected to do, even though it's not something you necessarily learn how to do. Like marketing is not the same as writing the book at all. And then the final volume in this series is an actual workbook where you can begin to develop your stories with prompts, free writes, and other tools to help you hone your craft. And so if you want like a master's level course in writing and publishing and marketing, you'll want to pick up Beth Revis's Paper Hearts series. And it's just Paper Hearts Volume 1, Paper Hearts Volume 2, etc. What do you got? What are you going to round us out with? I'm going to round us out with someone who is a powerhouse Mm -hmm. and yet also fairly new on the scene. Mm -hmm. So I think that in and of itself is an interesting combination. And it's Find Your Voice, a guided journal for writing your truth by Angie Thomas. So this one is, like it says, a guided journal, which I think really works for people who are struggling with the get started bit. I know for me, I honestly, I don't like writing at all. I'm I love research, I love outlining, and I really love rewrites and revisions. I know for some people that's tedious. And for me, that is just like a really, I love it as like a writer and as someone who studies a lot. Like I just love figuring out what works. So if you are like me and you really don't find anything freeing about a first draft, I think this is probably a good choice because it's very step-by-step and still has plenty of of blank pages for you to do whatever doodling or scribbling works for you. But I think for people who don't know where to begin 
a guided journal can be really helpful, even if it's, you know, one sentence according to the prompt, and then that just inspires you to go off on your own. I think, you know, you've gotten your money's worth right then. So that seems like a good choice for other people who are, find themselves just staring at a blank piece of paper or a blank Word document. So that's Find Your Voice, a guided journal for writing your truth by Angie Thomas. And that's our show. We did a lot. We did. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in this week, the first episode of 2021. If you have feedback about the show, you can leave it on Apple Podcasts. That lets us know how we're doing, and it helps other people find us. Maybe in 2021, I can set a couple of goals for listeners, uh, which would be leave reviews if you like them on podcasts that you like. And then leave reviews for books on consumer sites for books that you like. It it really does help, particularly with how algorithms work. Like, if you like something, scream about it, like, unabashedly. Thanks again to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible. And thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink, for making the magic happen. You can follow me, Kelly Jensen, on Instagram as HeyKellyJensen. And Hannah, what about you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as SHGMcLicious and also on Instagram as BookishGirlFit. And we'll talk to you all again in two weeks and Hannah will be with you next week for an episode of Hey YA Extra Credit. See you all then. Until then, happy reading. Happy reading.